The ACB Braille Forum, Volume 62, September 2023, Number 3. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Nancy Gahagan in the recording studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the National Office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6200 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 155, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the combined federal campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 518-906-1820 and choose option 8. Tune in to ACB Media at www.acbmedia.org or by calling 518-906-1820. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at ACB National or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash ACBNATIONAL. Copyright 2023, American Council of the Blind. Dan Spoon, Interim Executive Director, Sharon Lovering, Editor. 225 Reinecker's Lane, Suite 660, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. Table of Contents. President's Message. Our Convention is Really Back. By Deb Cook-Lewis. Capital Capsules. Update on Accessible Currency by Dan Spoon. 2023 Conference and Convention Wrap-Up by Janet Dickelman. 2023 Convention elects new officers, board and BOP members, and more. By Sharon Lovering, Penny Reader, Katie Frederick, Cachet Wells, and Cheryl Cummings. Introducing the 2023 DKM First-Timers and J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows by Kenneth Semyon Sr. Congratulations to the 2023 Scholarship Winners by Denise Colley. A Convention That Soared to New Heights by Anthony Corona. Applause to Prose and Poetry by Annie Cipetta, FIA President. Let's Get Ready for the Holiday Auction by Leslie Spoon. Nationwide credit reporting agencies and the American Council of the Blind announce updated initiative to provide accessible credit reports. Passings. Making My Own Luck by Deborah Armstrong. How to Meet the Growing Challenge of an Increasing Population of Older Americans with Vision Loss by Larry Johnson. My Unexpected Mentee by Melody Holloway. Ski for Light Hunts for the Hodag in Rhinelander by Melinda Hollins. Here and There, edited by Cynthia G. Hawkins. 
Upcoming Forum Themes and Deadlines November 2023, Audio Description Project, Deadline September 25, 2023 December 2023, International Relations Committee, Deadline October 24, 2023 January 2024, Theme TBA, Deadline November 20, 2023 Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org. Give her the information, and she'll make the changes for you. President's Message Our Convention is Really Back by Deb Cook-Lewis Last year when we went to Omaha, It felt to many of us like we were crossing a bridge between the virtual and hybrid world. We still have much work to do in determining how our future conventions will look and feel, but I think many will agree with me that this year in Schaumburg felt much more like the conventions we know and value. This year we had a full complement of both virtual and in-person tours, exhibits, session topics, social events, business and plenary sessions. It all happens because of the amazing work and dedication of our ACB staff, volunteers, both members and from the community, and everyone who registers and attends our convention. We have our convention framework set for the next two years, which gives us time to explore options for how to best move forward. This year, we will be asking you to tell us what you value most during the convention time, and what activities, if any, might work just as well in a different format or a different part of the year. We have learned a lot, but there is still much more to learn and explore as we shape our future together. Capital Capsules Update on Accessible Currency by Dan Spoon On June 8, 2023, the ACB leadership team continued discussions with the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, BEP, in furtherance of the progress made at the ACB Show Me the Money Rally for Accessible and Inclusive U.S. Paper Currency, held on March 10, 2023. ACB leaders held a meeting with the BEP director, Leonard Olajar, and his staff immediately before the rally. At that meeting, the BEP team shared a production-quality sample of the new $10 reserve note with raised tactile features, RTF, and large print numerals. The $10 note is the first in a new family of bills that will include the raised tactile features. The $10 note is scheduled for release in 2026, the $50 note in 2028, the new inclusive Harriet Tubman $20 note in 2030, and the $5 note in 2032. The entire currency family will be designed with the new advanced counterfeit protocol approved by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen in January 2023. In the pre-rally meeting, Olajar promised the ACB leadership team that there would be a follow-up meeting at the end of May to discuss the progress and the testing of the new $10 note, and at this time, the BEP would share the key project milestones to complete the rollout of the $10 note by 2026. Olajar was true to his promise, and ACB was invited to a follow-up meeting at the BEP headquarters on June 8, 2023 to review key milestones, provide a progress report, and tour the BEP facility. The June meeting was attended by ACB's Interim Executive Director Dan Spoon, Advocacy and Governmental Affairs Director Clark Rockfall, 
Advocacy Specialist Swatha Nandakumar, Administrative Assistant Caitlin Herrera, Attorney Jeff Levitke, BEP Director Leonard Olajar, BEP Deputy Director for the Dallas-Fort Worth facility Charlene Williams, BEP Advanced Counterfeit Deterrence ACD Group Representative Justin Dreheim, BEP General Counsel Heather Book, BEP Communications Director Teresa Fines, and several BEP staff members. The BEP team communicated that the final decision to go into production with the new $10 note will be the responsibility of the Federal Reserve Board. The BEP plan is to have the $10 note with the new raised tactile feature produced in sufficient quantities and ready for distribution by the fourth quarter of 2026. Currently, the BEP is in the third trial of the feasibility test to verify over 400 requirements for the counterfeit protocols and other functionality for the $10 note. The feasibility test phase is planned to be completed by fall of 2023. Once this key milestone is completed, the BEP must execute a Technical Inspection Quality TIQ test for quality assurance. The final internal test for the BEP is the large full-scale production test to stress test the equipment at full production capacity. Once these three tests have been completed, the BEP is still two years from having the $10 note ready for delivery to the Federal Reserve Board. Next, the production-ready $10 note must be shared with the Bank Equipment Manufacturers, BEM. There are nine major BEM companies that produce approximately 80% of the equipment. There are another 80 to 90 companies that own the other 20% of the market. These BEM companies must modify their bank equipment to function with the new $10 note. Most of these companies have experience with raised tactile features from tactile currencies in other countries. It is the responsibility of these manufacturers to adjust their software and hardware to work with U.S. currency. The BEP has already begun the conversation with these manufacturers, so they will not be surprised. The final two milestones are creating a communications plan to educate the public throughout the world about the new $10 note. U.S. currency is used as the official currency in more than 30 countries, and it is truly the currency of the world with 56 billion notes in circulation around the world. Finally, the Federal Reserve Board will make the decision to move the new $10 notes into circulation. Once the new $10 note has been released, it will take around five years to replace the current $10 note. ACB plans to hold their next meeting with the BEP staff in October after the feasibility test is finished. ACB is excited with the progress the BEP is making. We will continue to hold regularly scheduled meetings with the BEP to monitor progress. We are still a little over three years away from realizing a dream we have been pursuing for over 50 years. The ACB leadership team will keep our members informed with the BEP's progress through each key milestone. Keep advocating. We are truly changing the world for our blind and low vision community. 2023 Conference and Convention Wrap-Up by Janet Dickelman As I write this, I'm sitting at the airport waiting for my flight home from Schaumburg. I hope you all had a wonderful convention experience, whether you joined us virtually or in person. As always, it gives me great pleasure to acknowledge the hard work and dedication of so many who made the convention a success. Convention Committee Each of you handle your duties independently and efficiently. You make my life so much easier. 
As I was whisked from arrivals to my gate by Marjorie and her wonderful airport volunteers, I was reminded of how much our volunteers do to ensure that our conference and convention run smoothly. Marjorie Beeman, who so ably handles our accessibility at the hotel, as well as meeting everyone as they arrive and depart from the airport, you are amazing. People loved the orange contrast tape on the steps. Speaking of volunteers, Sally Benjamin spends hours recruiting volunteers prior to the convention and then is always on call to greet our volunteers, provide them with orientation, and make sure they have the information they need to assist everyone at the hotel. What a great exhibit hall we had with Michael Smitherman at the helm. Did you enjoy the Sunday evening exhibit hall hours, the recorded exhibitor loop, and the exhibitor open house on June 20th? Once again, Rhonda Trott outdid herself in arranging our excellent lineup of tours. From beach day to museums, we had them all. Vicki Prayan handled the information desk remotely with her sister Karen Spry on site, and our newest committee addition, Cecily Nipper, spending time at the information desk along with giving out CEU codes, sending Zoom links to presenters, and helping where needed. Our countless Zoom hosts and streamers kept things going remotely. Rick Morin and his cadre handled our AV needs. Everyone raved about how good the sound was this year. The host committee, chaired by Ray Campbell, did a great job with their Welcome to Schaumburg party, procuring local exhibitors, getting items for registration bags, giving outdoor prizes, and whatever else was asked of them. A huge thank you to host committee member Andrea Connor, who suggested our awesome banquet speaker, Louis Sharp. If you missed him, be sure to listen when the podcast of the banquet is available. Our wonderful staff does so much to make the convention a success. From Interim Executive Director Dan Spoon's leadership, Kelly Gask as Communications Manager sending out convention-related emails during the convention, and the Minneapolis staff comprised of Nancy Becker, Nancy Christine Fila, and Chris Sawyer, who have been doing all things convention for months. There are too many others to mention by name who played a part in the convention. Please know that although you aren't acknowledged in this article, you were a huge help. Thanks to all of you for your convention feedback and suggestions. They will definitely be considered. Looking ahead. Now, our thoughts turn to Jacksonville, Florida, and the Hyatt Riverfront Hotel. Conference and convention dates are July 5 to 12, 2024. Travel to Jacksonville and hotel details will be provided in the October ACBE Forum. Staying in touch. The conference and convention announce list will be filled with information. To subscribe to the list, send a blank email to acbconvention plus sign subscribe at acblists.org. A-C-B-C-O-N-V-E-N-T-I-O-N plus sign S-U-B S-C-R-I-B-E at A-C-B-L-I-S-T-S dot org. If you received updates for the 2023 convention, you do not need to resubscribe to the list. For any convention-related questions, please contact Janet Dickelman, convention chair, at 651-428-5059 or via email, janet.dickelman at gmail.com. J-A-N-E-T dot D-I-C-K-E-L-M-A-N at gmail dot com. 2023 Convention elects new officers, board and BOP members, and more. By Sharon Lovering, Penny Reeder, Katie Frederick, Cachet Wells, and Cheryl Cummings. 
After a wait of three years, the American Council of the Blind finally got to hold its convention in Schaumburg, Illinois. The 2023 conference and convention activities officially began when interim president Deb Cook-Lewis called the convention to order on June 19. The nominating committee met immediately after the call to order. Many ACB special interest affiliates held meetings or other virtual programming during the following six days. Those attending the in-person event began making their way to Schaumburg the last week of June as conference and convention hybrid activities began June 30. Saturday, July 1. Interim President Deb Cook-Lewis called the session to order. Ray Campbell, President, and Rachel Schroeder, immediate past president of the Illinois Council of the Blind, welcomed everyone to Schaumburg. Opening session traditions included reports from the president and executive director, life member presentations, recognition of the J.P. Morgan Leadership Fellows, DKM first-timers, and mentorship, access, and peer support programs, explorers, and guides, as well as the ACB Angels tributes, Warren Toyama, Camille Caffarelli, and Billie Jean Keith. Also given were reports from the nominating and credentials committees. The evening concluded with the roll call of affiliates. Sunday, July 2. Sunday morning, the convention took a break from general sessions. Instead, there were several breakout sessions on a variety of topics, from success with accessible pedestrian signals to an update on legal issues impacting the blind and low-vision community and structured negotiations to paratransit. Monday, July 3. After the Pledge of Allegiance led by the 2023 scholarship winners and a reading of this year's corporate and individual convention sponsors, the morning's events proceeded with the agenda. Ryan Jones, Vice President of Software and Product Management for Vispero, talked about several planned software improvements, including a new ability to deliver verbal descriptions for what the camera is displaying on Zoom and team calls, and to generate simultaneous Braille output for two separate areas displayed on screen. Nurse educators from Vanda Pharmaceuticals celebrated the company's long relationship with ACB, and encouraged anyone who suspects that they are experiencing non-24-hour sleep-wake disorder to contact them for help. Then, President Lewis made the surprise announcement of a life membership bestowed anonymously to Dan Spoon, Interim Executive Director. Dan, who was taken completely by surprise, thanked his benefactors and celebrated his ongoing commitment and service to ACB. Next up was a roll-call vote for a proposed amendment to Resolution 2023-16. The amendment was adopted by a vote of 64% in favor and 34% opposed. Following the resolution, the convention learned who the scholarship winners were. See Congratulations to the 2023 Scholarship Winners elsewhere in this issue. All recipients who were present introduced themselves and described their fields of study. Patty Cox introduced the scholarship winners selected by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI, and Denise Colley, chair of ACB Scholarship Committee, introduced the remaining winners. The next order of convention business was a presentation by the National Library Service narrator who had been invited by Library Users of America to participate in the 2023 ACB and LUA Convention Program events. The audience was rapt as they listened to narrator Jake Williams' presentation. Morning business concluded with a vote on Resolution 2023-16 as amended. A hybrid vote was taken by show of hands in the room and via Zoom. 
Although slightly more than 25 people voted against adopting the resolution as amended, only 11 endorsed holding a record vote, and Resolution 2023-16 was adopted. Tuesday, July 4. Tuesday's general session opening, July 4, honored America's birthday. Following the Pledge of Allegiance, Colby Garrison sang America the Beautiful. Following the reading of corporate sponsors, Jenny Lay Fleury, Chief Accessibility Officer, Microsoft, Redmond, Washington, delivered a diamond sponsorship presentation. ACB Angels, Dan Sippel, Terry Carmadell, and Richard Byrd were remembered. Denise Colley, ACB Secretary and Presiding Officer for the Morning, introduced and welcomed partner presentations from international guest Martine Abel-Williamson, President, World Blind Union, Auckland, New Zealand. Eric Bridges, Executive Director, American Foundation for the Blind, Arlington, Virginia. Jason Yasner, Deputy Director, National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. And Steve Sroka, Associate Director of Events, Foundation Fighting Blindness, Libertyville, Illinois. Listen to the individual remarks by ACB's great partners via the business feed of the ACB podcast. Wednesday, July 5. Wrangling up another day, President Deb Lewis got us geared up like a parent, reuniting lost items with their owners, and runaway guides making a dash for the exhibit hall. The DKM first-timers led a resounding Pledge of Allegiance, followed by beautiful angel presentations. Don Thompson, Amelia Citrone, and Liz Klein. Presiding Officer Kim Charlson did an amazing job navigating the session. Clark Rockfall facilitated a comprehensive panel discussion on increasing vision certifications for occupational therapists, discussing the complexities of finding viable solutions to ensuring we have qualified service providers and competently trained professionals in the field who understand our medical needs as it pertains to vision loss. The Audio Description Project presented awards to some great recipients. The grand prize winner, a 13-year-old girl, May, read her expressive essay, which gave an invigorating description on her perspective of audio descriptions and her experience with it on her favorite show, Wednesday, in detailing its impact in her life. With the closing of our last voting day for the year, we resolved that we would leave Schomburg a bit sweeter after today's tour to the candy store. Thursday, July 6. Thursday was the final day of convention. After call to order, the J.P. Morgan Chase Fellows led the convention in the Pledge of Allegiance. David Trott, the newly elected first vice president, presided. Dan Spoon, interim executive director, and Nancy Marks Becker, the CFO, reported on the financial stability of the organization. This was followed by a video of our newly elected treasurer, Reverend Michael Garrett, on ACB Enterprise and Services. Additional updates on the Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, the auction committee, membership, and the convention were given. Two hotel representatives thanked ACB for choosing the Schaumburg Renaissance Hotel. Moving tributes were given of new ACB angels, Joan Hill, Gardenia the Guide Dog, Delbert Amon, Travis Johnson, and Raymond Washburn throughout the morning. The banquet was a great evening as attendees joined in person and online. Ray Campbell, newly elected second vice president, was the MC for the evening. The contributions and achievements of many ACB members were celebrated and recognized through the awards given by the Awards Committee and the BOP. Louis Sharp, our banquet speaker, challenged us to remember that, irrespective of what is happening, we always have control over our response. 
the evening ended with a message of empowerment. Introducing the 2023 DKM First Timers and J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows by Kenneth Semyon Sr. The Derwood K. McDaniel DKM Fund Committee proudly presents the Class of 2023 DKM First Timers and Class of 2023 ACB J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows. Class of 2023 DKM First Timers John A. Miller of Columbus, Ohio, East Hema Seneceros of El Paso, Texas, West. Class of 2023, ACB J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows. Liz Botner of Washington, D.C., Cheryl Cummings of Seattle, Washington, Terry Turlau of Louisville, Kentucky, Malena Vanderwall of Caledonia, Michigan, Benjamin Wright of Henderson, Kentucky. We were honored to introduce and hear from the recipients during the opening general session of the convention in Schaumburg, Illinois. This year's recipients began their convention exploration by attending the ACB Board of Directors meeting to become enlightened concerning how the business of the organization is conducted, then moved forward by joining in on the fun and informative Difficult Council of the Blind session presented by the Burl Colley Leadership Training Institute Committee. They excitedly participated in several of the advocacy breakout sessions and other leadership development sessions provided by ACB Next Generation. The week proceeded with attendance of daily general sessions. Each award affords recipients to have their respective receptions. Cindy Hollis, Manager of Membership Engagement, inducted all recipients into the Durward K. McDaniel DKM Leadership Select Honor Society, and the week culminated with the annual ACB Banquet. DKM committee members include Zelda Gebhard, Vice Chair, Anthony Acamini, Amanda Selm, Melanie Snowy, Donna Browning, Sheila Young, Betsy Grenovich, and Kenneth Semian Sr., Chair. Congratulations to the 2023 Scholarship Winners by Denise Colley. The American Council of the Blind Scholarship Program was established in 1982. ACB and the American Foundation for the Blind, AFB, have partnered to offer educational scholarships ranging from $2,500 to $7,500 for legally blind students attending a technical college or who are an entering freshman, undergraduate, or a graduate student. The program awards students with scholarships to help with post-secondary education financial needs, such as tuition, fees, room and board, and other additional costs associated with assistive technology. Congratulations to the 2023 scholarship recipients. Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarships Parnita Bassnett Kevin Cohen Charles Miller Danielle Schutz Malia Thibodeau William G. Corey Memorial Scholarship Eric Marco Ramos John Hebner Memorial Scholarship Andrew de Avila Norma Schechter Memorial and Dwayne Buckley Memorial Scholarships Kusei Hussein ACB of Oregon Scholarship Maya Andrick Bay State Council of the Blind Scholarship Chantal Zuzi Arnold Sadler Memorial Scholarship and Rudolph Dillman Scholarship AFB Bailey Thomas Dr. S. Bradley Burson Memorial Science Scholarship and Pollen Ellen Rux Scholarship, AFB, Jonathan Carver. Eunice Fiorito Memorial Scholarship 
and Charles Dillman Scholarship, AFB, Matthew Cho. James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship, Zane Hoover. Kelly Cannon Memorial Scholarship and Paulin Ellen Rux Scholarship, AFB, Matthew Ard. R.I. Gillette, Gladys C. Anderson, and Karen D. Carcel Memorial Scholarships, AFB. Julia Legrand. Ross N. Pangier Foundation for the Visually Impaired Scholarships. Caitlin Kellel, Brock Kitterman, Bavya Shaw. Rudolph Dillman, Charles Dillman Scholarships, AFB. Catherine Sevier, Caitlin Kellermeyer, Emily Nelson. Tech for All Scholarship, Devin Woodfine. This class was brimming with talent, intelligence, and enthusiasm. The variety of abilities ranged from one of our winners being the president of Seedling's Braille Books for Children to a blind hockey player to one who is an investigator with the Illinois Department of Human Rights in Chicago. Yet another had an internship with Pfizer. And one was the head producer for Olio Road Productions. There was a strong sense of camaraderie among the group and an eagerness to tackle their chosen pursuits. Applications for the 2024-2025 school year will be posted online November 1, 2023. We look forward to presenting another group of deserving winners next year. A Convention That Soared to New Heights by Anthony Corona How high? 15,000 feet to be exact. When I lost my sight a little over six years ago, I had to grapple with the fact that things I loved doing were now lost to me. Things such as driving a car, flying lessons, and some of the adrenaline-rushing activities I loved. One of my bucket list items was skydiving, and I was unsure I would be able to cross that one off the list, unsure, until Schomburg. With a group from Blind Pride, I was able to experience this amazing thrill. As the plane took off and the final safety checks began, an eerie calm overtook me and the adrenaline began to rise, from gut first, through each finger and hair upon my head. The plane climbed and the rush of air all added to the sense that I was moments away from a freefall like no other. The 35 seconds of the fall were amazingly intense and surprisingly loud. I could not even hear my top-of-the-lungs screams of exhilaration. After the parachute deployed, my instructor chuckled and asked, So, I hear you're a daredevil. Want to have some fun? And fun was had. Luis allowed me to control the parachute and instructed me how to steer, initiate spirals, and loop-de-loops. It's thrilling and so peaceful at the same time, although some tiny parts of my old brain lamented the fact I could not see the earth and its beauty from that vantage point. The Friday skydiving adventure was just a great prologue to a convention to remember. As chair of the Blind Pride convention team, I am so happy that our programming was so well attended, received, and talked about. First, they came for a rousing call to action by BPI and our allies. We see the tide as it rolls in, and we are ready to stand tall and loud, and the exuberant declarations from ACB allies made it a great opening to BPI offerings. Tristan Snyder's 3D audio excursion surpassed what he has given us in the past and took us to new heights of the immersive experience. We talked aging, legislation, advocacy, brought forth the rainbow via origami, mixed it up with other affiliates, and of course, there were those always popular wine tastings. Like our partnership with Friends in Art, we were honored to be asked to help bring the beloved showcase back to its former glory. I publicly admit here, 
Peter, you were right. It all comes together in the last 48 hours, which is hard for a Type A planner to believe. So many of the show's performers were Blind Pride members sharing their incredible talent with our audience. The after-party open mic, although delayed from circumstances beyond our control, also brought the house down. I was so personally honored to be asked to host the FIA BPI Breakfast and introduce Jason Castingway, the master of the showcase. Make no mistake, folks, without his musical genius, the show could not have gone on. And his breakfast talk and call to action was not to be missed. So grab those podcasts when they are available and celebrate the amazing talents of Jason, myself, and all the great performers. Personally, I hold a lot of pride to have been asked to lend my voice and talent to Ron Brooks' amazing transportation conversation and RSVA's tech panel. I remarked to friends that just a few short years ago, I was attending my first convention in shades of awe and wondered if I would ever be as confident and productive as some of the great people I had met. To be included in so many areas this year reinforces my love for and commitment to ACB. I also celebrated a personal milestone in Illinois, an anniversary of love. It was a convention that not only brought me a new family, but a love for my lifetime. So even though the rush has long been spent and the landing back on Earth a memory, ACB's 62nd annual convention will always soar in the clouds of my memories. Applause to Prose and Poetry by Annie Cipetta, FIA President Thanks to Carla Hayes, the July 2nd hybrid prose and poetry session was fabulous. Don't miss out on listening to it. The camaraderie and talent flowed, though it was past my bedtime. It was special because of the interactions fostered by Carla and everyone who attended. It mattered not who was on Zoom or in the room, we felt connected. I am sharing one of the poems I performed here because it is apropos to being part of a hybrid convention. Zoom and Zap Prior to the pandemic, I got zapped with the Zoom app. Now I zig and zag, click and tap, interact on the Z, meetings and webinars, Zoom, Zooming, Zoom, unstable connections, am I unmuted? Click tap, click tap. Waiting for host. Virtual connections. Continuing after the pandemic ends. Let's get ready for the holiday auction. It's time to get ready for the annual ACB Media Holiday Auction. The holiday auction will be held on Sunday, November 26 at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. There will be sneak-a-peek appetizer auctions on Friday and Saturday, November 24 and 25. The deadline for auction item descriptions and pictures is Monday, October 9. Please send your items to Leslie Spoon by Friday, October 20, or you can hold the item for direct shipment to the winner. We look forward to everyone participating in the ACB Media Holiday Auction this year. Let's celebrate ACB and the holidays in style. If you have any questions, please reach out to Leslie Spoon at lesliespoon at cfl.rr.com. L-E-S-L-I-E-S-P-O-O-N-E at cfl.rr.com or call 407-678-4163. Happy bidding! Leslie Spoon Nationwide credit reporting agencies and the American Council of the Blind announce updated initiative to provide accessible credit reports. Braille, large print, and audio versions also available. 
The nationwide credit reporting agencies, NCRAs, reaffirmed their commitment to provide access to consumer credit reports for people who are blind or have low vision. The initiative crafted with the American Council of the Blind and several blind consumers will help improve the experiences of individuals who cannot read a standard print credit report. Under the plan announced in July, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion will make online credit reports and related information more accessible for people with visual impairments through their jointly operated website, annualcreditreport.com. This is the official site to help consumers obtain free credit reports. The initiative includes a renewed commitment to make credit reports available in Braille, large print, and audio formats this summer. We are thrilled with the renewed commitment of Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion to provide accessible online credit information in large print, Braille, and audio formats, said Dan Spoon, Interim Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind. This initiative allows people with visual impairments to independently monitor and review their credit reports, as all members of the public should. These are critical tools for obtaining financial services, managing financial health, avoiding identity theft, and protecting the privacy of our financial information. The initiative includes a renewed commitment to provide credit reports in Braille, large print, and audio formats, and to design online credit reports and related web pages in accordance with the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, WCAG 2.1, Level AA, issued by the Web Accessibility Initiative, WAI, of the World Wide Web Consortium, W3C. The guidelines help ensure that websites are accessible to persons with disabilities. The credit reporting agencies first worked with ACB over 15 years ago, when free credit reports were first rolled out in the United States. ACB President Deb Cook-Lewis commented, We appreciate the three nationwide credit reporting agencies and their collaboration over many years, and the structured negotiation process that brought us to today's announcement. Braille, large print, and audio credit reports are available to people who are blind or low vision by calling 1-877-322- 8228. Accessible online credit reports are available through annualcreditreport.com. Passings. We honor here members, friends, and supporters of the American Council of the Blind who have impacted our lives in many wonderful ways. If you would like to submit a notice for this column, please include as much of the following information as possible. Name. First, last, maiden if appropriate. City of residence upon passing. State, province of residence upon passing. Other cities, states, countries of residence. Places where other blind people may have known this person. Occupation. Date of death, day if known, month, year. Age. ACB affiliation, local, state, special interest affiliates, or national committees. Deaths that occurred more than six months ago cannot be reported in this column. Louise Carolyn Duvall, July 3, 1946 to July 23, 2023. Louise Carolyn Duvall, the only child of Edwin and Wilma Hogason Duvall, was born on July 3, 1946 at St. Anthony Hospital in Carroll, Iowa. She grew up on the family farm in Audubon County, Viola Township. She departed this life on July 23, 2023, while residing at Walnut Ridge in Clive, Iowa. There was no kindergarten at the time, so Louise began her school career in first grade. 
She attended grade school at the Viola Center School and high school at the Audubon Public School, graduating in 1964. Louise was a 1968 graduate of the University of Iowa, earning degrees in history and English. She laughed in later years, wondering what job she thought that would get her. After graduating, she began coursework at Drake University to be certified to teach. She thoroughly enjoyed being a student until her dad called and said it was time to come home and get a job. There was a teaching position in Exira at mid-year, and without even an interview, she lived at home and began commuting to Exira to teach history, economics, government, etc. Louise was also the pep club sponsor, not something she enjoyed. She even offered to return the stipend given for it, but to no luck. Her teaching career lasted three and a half years. Louise met Bill Getch in a history class at Iowa, and they were married on August 8, 1970. Tragically, two weeks after her wedding, her parents were killed in a car accident, a loss felt to this day. Louise and Bill would move to Des Moines when he began working for the Department for the Blind. She found work as a title clerk in a local car dealership. Louise's own career with the Department for the Blind began by driving blind clients to appointments. She would then become a rehab teacher, having to learn and then teach Braille, how to use a white cane and other tasks to be adapted for her clients. She loved her work in this area. Her career path then moved into writing grants and to a new department under her leadership to serve the blind community. Louise chose to come out of retirement to create Friends of the Library for the Blind as a way to help purchase Braille and audiobooks for the library. She was proud of the work she did and would maintain friendships with many of those she served. She and Bill bought a brick ranch home in Urbandale in 1973. They divorced in 1975. Louise lived in her home for 49 years and had a host of pets, including a St. Bernard named Tammy and cats Coco, Teddy, and Lily, who were wonderful companions and greatly loved. Louise traveled extensively with her job. She also loved playing bridge and entertaining friends. She was articulate, had a big laugh, and a sharp mind. She especially loved sharing stories on family history. She was an avid reader all of her life and in retirement, she was known to read a book a day. She also loved cars, and one day bought her first Mercedes. She also enjoyed driving, fast, especially when chauffeuring blind friends back and forth to appointments in Iowa City. She had at least one encounter with a state trooper. As Louise's health declined, she was no longer able to live in her home, and moved to Walnut Ridge in Urbandale, Iowa. She enjoyed family visits and the helpful staff at the facility and those who cared for her from Hospice of the Midwest. Her cremains will be scattered on the family farm in Audubon County per her wishes. She is survived by her multitudes of cousins who were much loved. Louise's family suggests any gifts in her memory be given directly to the Friends of the Iowa Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, P.O. Box 93046, Des Moines, Iowa, 50393-3046 Making My Own Luck by Deborah Armstrong I still remember pleading with the high school principal to get a turn at answering phones in the front office. Our school was an early experiment in mainstreaming the disabled, and the other blind students were autistic or developmentally delayed. I attended regular classes and did not use any special education services, but I was still blind and, in the principal's eyes, not competent to handle the job. 
This was the early 1970s, decades before the ADA. Even though Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act would be passed a few years later, it would take longer for public schools to even begin to treat disabled students with a little less discrimination. But though society had not begun to truly change, I had. I realized if I wanted something, I would need to take a stand. I applied to several exchange student organizations with the full support of my parents and was turned down. I wasn't ready to go to college. I wanted an adventure after high school, and I felt I could live in another country for a year. The Rotary Club finally accepted me after I spoke before one of their meetings, demonstrating my skills and willingness to take on the challenge. So I went to Germany for a year. That trip changed me from a kid into a young woman. I had successes, but also almost got sent home when I was caught in a boy's bedroom. Looking back today, I realize we only discover maturity after we've made a few really stupid mistakes. But one of my happiest triumphs was working as a receptionist at the School for the Blind. There, nobody cared about my lack of vision. Instead, it was my, at first, poor facility with the language that handicapped me. But soon, I was able to take messages as effectively as a native speaker, giving me a huge measure of confidence. I had to announce incoming calls through a public address system and learn to ignore the titters when people heard my accent. I had to type out messages on a German typewriter, in German, without messing up. And of course, I had to understand the callers. I did attend college when I returned home, and eventually got a full-time job coordinating recreation programs for disabled adults. I was, however, still a teenager, and often arrived for work late and was disorganized. I was eventually fired after I planned a horseback riding trip for kids with cerebral palsy and forgot to schedule a driver to take the van of children up to the horse ranch. I still remember all those angry parents. Again, it was through carelessness I learned to be efficient and effective. In my other jobs after that disaster, my performance reviews always praised my organization and time management skills, but they were not skills I was born with, for sure. The biggest thing I learned from my mistakes was that I needed to commit to changing myself, and I could make it happen. For another example, I used to be a terrible speller, but when I began using spell checkers on my computer, I decided I did not want to depend on them as I still could use a manual typewriter. So each time the spell checker found a mistake, I'd have it show me the corrected word, and then I would type it three times myself to build muscle memory for how it was supposed to be spelled. At first, it took hours to spell check a document, but gradually my fingers learned how to spell. Today, I almost never misspell a word, and the spell checker catches just typos. However, I still make plenty of those. Another turning point occurred when I lost my job at Stenograph due to our California office closing. I was interviewing with someone who I could tell did not believe I could work in technical support. I told the following story, which completely changed the interviewer's attitude. At Stenograph, we had a customer named Mary Lou, who called in nearly every week with one problem or another. We had a new feature in our software that let court reporters record voice memos while they worked on preparing transcripts. Mary Lou couldn't find the record button on screen. Now, the 28 others I worked with were sighted, and they could see that button on their screens. So they kept telling Mary Lou where to click, but she just couldn't get it to work. I think she talked to every one of us, and we all were sure her computer was broken. I took a different approach. I wanted to see the screen through Mary Lou's eyes, so I asked her to describe the buttons she saw. 
After she went through the pencil button, the file folder button, and the paperclip button, she got to a button she told me was a candle. Oh, I said, it's a microphone. Click it. She did, and was able to record her voice. Eventually, my technique looking at the screen through the customer's eyes rather than your own became an accepted part of our technical support routine. I had changed the whole culture of the office. My coworkers learned to ask the customers what they were seeing, and it improved everyone's success. My last example of making my own luck occurred after I lost another job, working as a software engineer and tech writer. This time it was the dot-com bust that was responsible, plunging many of Silicon Valley's tech workers into unemployment. Thousands of us descended on the echoing halls of job fairs, and I had a job developer who offered to guide me around. I had gone to job fairs before with a sighted guide, and I thought it made me look more dependent than I wanted to appear. So, with some trepidation, I devised a plan which should enable me to cope with the cacophony and chaos. Arming myself with a braille list of the booths I wanted to visit, I asked at the registration desk if someone could walk me to booth 309, which I knew was IBM, and which was near the beginning of the aisles of booths. Just as I expected, a huge line waited at the IBM booth. I asked people in that line which booths were to the right, to the left, behind, and in front of me. Navigating this way from one line to the next, I took advantage of all those other unemployed but sighted people waiting. I asked them to describe the room's geography. I asked them to read the recruiter's signboards. I asked them to tell me whose lines were the shortest. And instead of depending on one guide, I asked each person to help me for maybe 30 seconds. I came away from that job fair brimming with confidence. I had practiced describing my skills to a variety of recruiters. I had the elevator speech down. My sighted friends were depressed about the crowds and the limited possibilities of finding work. But I had conquered the problem of navigating job fairs, and I felt I could handle any interview. I was hired just two months later by an employer who asked me a number of technical questions to which I did not have an answer. But it was my confidence and many examples of how I had learned new skills in the past that convinced him to hire me. Besides technical writing and technical support, I've also been a software engineer and now work at a college supporting disabled students. I am a senior citizen and can retire at any time with too many skills to fit on a single resume. I have come a long way from the poor high school kid who couldn't get a chance to volunteer to answer phones or the program coordinator who couldn't plan a proper outing. In making both my own mistakes and my own luck, I have enjoyed over 50 years of almost steady employment. How to Meet the Growing Challenge of an Increasing Population of Older Americans with Vision Loss by Larry Johnson The U.S. population continues to age, and the prevalence of visual impairment also continues to increase. America faces a growing number of older adults for whom visual impairment presents daily challenges to their ability to live independently. Approximately 5 million Americans over the age of 65 are classified as legally blind, and this number is expected to increase by 60% over the next 15 years. There is shockingly a woeful lack of funding and specialized services available for older adults experiencing vision loss and the preponderance of existing programs and services for people with visual impairments are focused on employment, not on the broader needs of older Americans with vision loss who are trying to navigate the community and seek social engagement and independent living outside of employment-related settings. 
Many state agencies can admit there are serious gaps in education and training related to vision loss for service providers and agencies across the aging network. These include a lack of information about access points for available supports and services for older Americans experiencing vision loss. According to the AARP, nearly 90% of older adults say they want to age in place. However, for those with vision loss, there are often major obstacles that make this extremely difficult. There is much that the federal government and the U.S. Department on Aging in particular could do to ensure that older Americans who experience vision loss would be able to age in place and age with dignity. There are two key focus areas to be spotlighted, public awareness and education outreach, and upskill training of area agencies on aging staff. Public Awareness and Education Outreach The Department on Aging, through the state's Department of Health and Human Services, provides a wide range of services for older Americans, including all types of health and human services, such as health care, home care, personal care, and long-term care to help ensure their well-being, dignity, and independent living choices. Programs are also in place to support family caregivers. Experienced state agencies, staff, and paid contractors help eligible older Americans access services that create opportunities to live independently in their own homes, provide information about state and federal benefits and legal rights, give family caregivers the tools to do their job, provide access to meals at home or in group settings, identify assisted living facility care, daytime programs or nursing home services that they may qualify for, Advocate for people who live in assisted living facilities or nursing homes. Guide people to the right long-term care services. Lamentably, many of these programs and services, such as those provided by local area agencies on aging, in-home care, and the Aging and Disability Resource Centers, are not well known, especially among older Americans who may be experiencing vision loss or their families. This represents a major challenge in the provision of services to this population if individuals do not know where to go or what resources are available in their community. What is needed is a broad-based, multi-pronged awareness campaign aimed at 1. Older adults with visual impairment and their families 2. Healthcare providers across the continuum, in-home and facility-based 3. Aging network partners AAA, ADRC, and their community partners. And four, the broader community of stakeholders or gatekeepers, such as first responders, EMS, and faith-based communities. Likewise, state agencies supported by the Federal Department on Aging should conduct public awareness and education outreach campaigns designed to provide information relating to the programs and resources available to aging adults who are blind or visually impaired in their state. The campaigns must be 1. Tailored to targeted populations, including a. Aging adults with or at risk of blindness or visual impairment and the families and caregivers of those adults. b. Healthcare providers, including home and community-based services providers, healthcare facilities, and emergency medical services providers. c. Community and faith-based organizations, and d. The general public, and 2 disseminated through methods appropriate for each targeted population. Often, designated websites or information portals are minimally effective because they are not easily accessible or commonly used by persons with vision loss or their family members. Upskill Disability Sensitivity and Awareness Training 
Clearly, there are gaps in education and training related to vision loss for service providers and agencies across the aging network. These include a lack of knowledge and training about appropriate interaction and understanding of individuals experiencing vision loss. There is a need for training and education across service provider and professional association networks within existing structures for regular education and training. A tiered approach, scalable from base knowledge to task-specific, such as orientation and mobility, independent living skills, and politically correct language. The goal should be to help reduce the tendency toward paternalism when helping older Americans with vision loss. One possible approach might be an online training curriculum focused on basic awareness and sensitivity of vision loss targeted to home health care providers, nursing home and assisted living staff, and ombudsmen with the AAAs and ADRCs. Such training should include describing the fear, vulnerability, a sense of loss of control, the loss of confidence, the need to learn new ways to live life, and family dynamics as life changes with loss of vision. Whatever policies or initiatives instituted by the Department on Aging or the Administration on Community Living should align with these two focus areas outlined above, public awareness and education outreach and upskill training of area agency staff. The end goal should result in more older Americans who experience vision loss being able to remain in their own homes, if they so choose, and live their golden years with dignity and independence. My Unexpected Mentee by Melody Holloway In 2007, I began attending a consumer-operated drop-in, peer-owned support center for adults living with mental health conditions, addiction, and long-term effects of unspeakable trauma. I was in my early 20s, lacked self-confidence, self-worth, and was still finding my purpose. I was the only totally blind associate, which is what members are called due to equal partnership, which forms the integral team of recovery. One day, another associate excitedly informed me that an older blind gentleman was sitting at one of the tables not too far away. I spoke up. The rest was history. John was 68, a father of three, twin daughters and a son, as well as a grandfather of three young granddaughters. The bullet intended for termination of his life took all his sight instead. John had attended the Washington School for the Blind's Adult Independent Living Program, which forced him to buck up, and did not consider his emotional well-being or the processing of lifelong traumatic experience. He lived in a group home with a roommate who became a near-constant sighted guide. He was desperate for someone to assist him with independent living skills. I also offered to tutor him in the basics of Braille. For nearly two years, I dragged my electric Perkins Brailler to and from the Peer Center, along with handfuls of Braille paper. We tackled the alphabet, writing his name, began spelling three-letter words, putting each group of letters together, as John gradually caught on. As far as punctuation, we got as far as capital and period. John became more adept at reading uncontracted Braille than writing. At the time, I was close friends with a TVI who lives in Guam. I solicited her advice regarding how I could help John understand the concept of the six-dot cell. She suggested a six-hole muffin tin or cutting an egg carton in half and having him feel the six cups. I went with the egg carton option. When I arrived at the center with the halved carton in my pocket, someone asked if I was carrying six raw eggs in my pocket. No, my goodness, this carton is for John's Braille lesson. Eventually, John tired of tedious Braille lessons. An independent living instructor at Columbus, Ohio's now former site center told him about Guide and Dragon software for the computer. 
Despite my effort to explain that voice recognition was less than reliable and to stress the importance of Braille literacy no matter what stage of life someone learned, he declined my future assistance. I miss my former mentee, who also became my mentor, teaching me valuable life lessons of his own, sharing in the path to recovery. One of the most important truths I carry with me to this day is the reminder that anyone can educate and anyone can learn, no matter their age, background, culture, faith, identity, disability, condition, or method of communication. Ski for Light Hunts for the Hodag in Rhinelander by Melissa Hollins Ski for Light, SFL, makes tracks to Rhinelander, Wisconsin, January 28 through February 4, 2024. Ski for Light, an all-volunteer nonprofit organization, hosts an annual week-long event where adults with visual or mobility impairments learn the basics of cross-country skiing. Around 250 active adventurous adults from across the United States and several other countries will meet in Rhinelander to ski the north woods of Wisconsin and hopefully catch a glimpse of the mythical Hodag. Participants will stay at the Quality Inn, or American, and enjoy skiing on trails expertly prepared by the Northwoods Nordic Ski Club. While described as a fearsome creature with giant fangs, bullhorns, and spines down its back, the Hodag will certainly be smiling as new participants learn the thrill of gliding on the snow while veteran skiers hone their skills, and everyone builds confidence and friendships to last a lifetime. During the international event, each blind, visually, or mobility-impaired skier is paired with an experienced, sighted cross-country skier who acts as ski instructor and on-snow guide. The program emphasizes recreational trail skiing rather than competition, with the skier and guide deciding together each day how far, how long, and on what kind of terrain they will ski. I immediately felt right at home as a first-timer, agrees skier Jesse Mabry of Connecticut. I was not surprised to find that the week was everything I'd expected and more, whether on the trails with my fantastic guide or around the fireplace during evening pop-up jam sessions. There was always plenty to do, but no pressure to do it all. Come and share the magic by participating in the Ski for Light 2024 International Week as a skier, a guide, or a volunteer. Applications for all, including details about event fees and financial assistance, will be available in late July, early August at www.sfl.org. Meantime, you can get answers to frequently asked questions on our website and join our community on Facebook or Twitter, Ski for Light, Inc., and check out our YouTube channel, Ski for Light International. To speak with a visually impaired participant in person, call VIP Recruitment Chair Melinda Hollins at 231-590-0986. Here and There, edited by Cynthia G. Hawkins. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACB Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to slovering at acb.org or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Did you buy a cookbook at the ACB Marketplace in Schaumburg? 
I would like to apologize to all of those who purchased a cookbook from me on July 6, 2023 at the marketplace. At the end of the day, I found out that two categories of the cookbook were left out, soups and beverages. If you could please send me those books back, I will send you the corrected one. It was the fault of the printer. They are being replaced free of charge. Also, I will have the book in audio by August 5. The cost of the audiobook is $25. There will really be 120 recipes, along with other articles. Ship the incomplete books to Wilma Chestnut House, 8659 Morin Place, that's M-O-R-A-N, Place, St. Louis, Missouri, 63114. If you would like to speak with me, my number is 314-873-9022. Update to Mexico by Touch Twenty years after its initial publication, and on the cusp of his 90th birthday, Larry Johnson has updated the original book to include additional harrowing adventures. The book is called Mexico by Touch, True Life Experiences of a Blind American DJ. It is available on Amazon. New Books at NBP Now available from National Braille Press is iOS Basics for the Beginning User. Using Your iPhone with VoiceOver by Addie Svensson. The book is available in Braille, BRF, DAISY, and Word. It provides a big-picture overview of the iPhone and offers information on the features of iOS and VoiceOver, from navigation, setting up, and personalizing your phone, to entering text and configuring settings. If you have a child or grandchild in your life, you may want to look at these two new books. One is 12 Amazing Tricks, available in Braille, UEB, and BRF. Kids will enjoy amazing their friends and family with these magic tricks that use items from around the house. Also newly available is Early One Morning by Lawrence Schimmel and Alina Breslina. This is a print-and-braille board book for babies through preschoolers that tells the story of the morning adventure of a boy and his cat. For more information, call toll-free 1-800-548-7323 or visit tinyurl.com slash numeral 3 MSZ numerals 54 CT Vista Center board chair turns over the reins ACB member John Glass's tenure as board chair of the Vista Center in California has come to an end His successes include shepherding Vista Center through the COVID-19 pandemic, resulting in commendations for exemplary client service from county government, and ensuring Vista Center maintained impeccable financial health. He turns over the reins with many innovative accomplishments and a bright future for continued growth serving the community of people living with vision loss. Patrice McGinnis is the incoming chair of Vista Center's Board of Directors. Patrice is no stranger to Vista Center initially receiving client services, volunteering as an assistive technology instructor, serving as interim director for Vista Santa Cruz, as well as board vice chair, prior to stepping into this new role. She is also the executive producer of Voices for Vista, bringing musical talent to the Kumbwa Jazz Center to raise funds for client programs. She has had an accomplished career in the realm of opera as a founding member of Opera San Jose. ACB Officers President Deb Cook-Lewis, First Term, 2025 1131 Liberty Drive, Clarkston, Washington, 99403 First Vice President David Trott, First Term, 2025 
1018 East Street South, Talladega, Alabama, 35160. Second Vice President, Ray Campbell. First Term, 2025. 216 Prestwick Road, Springfield, Illinois, 62702-3330. Secretary, Denise Colley. Final Term, 2025. 26131 Travis Brook Drive, Richmond, Texas, 77406-3990. Treasurer, Michael Garrett. First Term, 2025. 7806 Chaseway Drive, Missouri City, Texas, 77489-2333. Immediate Past President, Kim Charlson. 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. ACB Board of Directors. Christopher Bell, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, first term, 2024. Donna Brown, Romney, West Virginia, first term, 2024. Gabriel Lopez Cafati, Miami Lakes, Florida, first term, 2026. Cecily Laney Nipper, Covington, Georgia, partial term, 2024. Terry Pacheco, Silver Spring, Maryland, first term, 2026. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, second term, 2024. Rachel Schroeder, Springfield, Illinois, first term, 2026. Kenneth Semyon Sr., Beaumont, Texas, first term, 2024. Connie Sims, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, first term, 2026. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California, second term, 2026. ACB Board of Publications. Penny Reader, Chair, Montgomery Village, Maryland, Third term, 2025. Jeff Bishop, Tucson, Arizona, partial term, 2024. Cheryl Cummings, Seattle, Washington, second term, 2025. Zelda Gebhard, Edgeley, North Dakota, second term, 2024. Cachet Wells, Jacksonville, Florida, first term, 2024. Accessing your ACB Braille and eForums. The ACB eForum may be accessed by email on the ACB website via download from the webpage in Word, plain text, or Braille-ready file, or by phone at 518-906-1820. To subscribe to the email version, contact Sharon Lovering, S-L-O-V-E-R-I-N-G, at acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail, in Braille, large print, and LS-style digital cartridge, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone, 518-906-1820. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader stream or from https colon slash slash pinecast.com slash feed slash acb dash braille dash forum dash and dash e dash forum.